Hey, can you clap for all of our first time guests in this room, also in overflow as well. We love you guys and watching online. We love you guys as well. Go ahead and slap somebody's hand and have a seat. Uh, we are in week whatever of this series called My Monsters, and we've been talking about how anything that is not from God, that's plaguing our mind, that's causing us to be paralyzed, that's causing us to not take steps of faith in our life is a mind monster. And so we've covered things like condemnation and fear and doubt and all these, these, these different mind monsters that keep us from becoming ultimately all that God wants us to become. Today, I wanna to talk about how we attack anxiety. Attacking anxiety, we are, uh, and anxious people, are we not? I saw on a magazine cover in a grocery store that said, like, we are living in the age of anxiety, and it's so true. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, while you are turning there, if you don't have your Bible, we're going to have the words up here on the screen behind me or on the side screens here, uh, so that's okay. It's going to be provided for you, but we also have hard copy Bibles, and our, our auditorium team would be happy to give you one, even on your way out. We got Bibles for you. If you don't have God's Word, we would love to give you that uh, and just say, you know, take it, uh, have it. But while you're turning there, can I just say on behalf of our staff, thank you for the, the, the gifts you have given our, our pastors here by way of gift cards and food and donuts and candy and all kinds of things. We definitely feel the love you guys have given us so much, including type 2 diabetes, just so you know. <laughs> Actually, we call them livabetes around here. We are a faith church. Come on, somebody. It's not diabetes, livabetes. Uh, but we just wanted to say thank you. And also, quick reminder, next week the, the clocks change, so you get to sleep in a little bit. While you're sleeping in, or not sleeping in, consider this. We would love to see you maybe move to an 8.30 if that time worked for you on Sundays, just to make room for more people coming in through the doors. We're trying to create space in the, the optimum times, and if you know, you're one of those people that can make some room, then we'd love to have you do it. If not, we understand that too, uh, but just maybe consider making that switch. All right, here we go today. Uh, I was doing some research, and the, the New York Times, I found this piece. It was quoting a World Mental Health Survey, and here's what it says, that Americans are the most anxious people on the planet. Out of the 14 countries that, that were surveyed, they found that Americans are the most anxious people. In fact, here's what it said. We spend billions of dollars, billions with a B, not millions, billions of dollars on anti-anxiety medications and additional millions in order to fund research into the causes and cures for anxiety. And according to this, this report, it said the National Academy of Sciences, only about 30% of people, even less, you know, have, uh, are diagnosed with like inherent anxiety kinds of issues that, that require medication, meaning the other 70% that are diagnosed, uh, it has to do with their mental outlook. It has to do with the habits that they have in life. In other words, you can make an impact in your life just by having your mind renewed, which is our goal. Is not to follow the patterns of the world and the customs of the world and to get caught in the, the, the flow of, of our culture, but to renew our minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, Amazon released a list of the most popular passages that have been highlighted on their Kindle device. If you have a Kindle device, you should know they're tracking what you're highlighting, just throwing that out there. They track everything, I guess. But out of the four most highlighted uh, books, which were the Hunger Games, uh, Harry Potter series, Pride and Prejudice, 
But the f- number one most highlighted book, you know what it is? The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book, right? That's the book. That's the Bible. And uh, check this out. The most highlighted passage. If this is not telling, I don't know what is. Philippians 4, 6. Most highlighted passage. Do not be, say it out loud, anxious. Does that not say a lot? That this is what people are searching for. This is what we are, are looking for. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. And the peace of God. This is what we're after. The peace of God who transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What that study shows is we are all, every single one of us, I would not ask you to raise your hand, you know, whether you've ever experienced anxiety in your life. In fact, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because a lot of you don't participate in anything I ask you to do anyway, which is fine. Be that way. Um, But if I were to ask you to raise your hand, we would all have to say that we have dealt with or are dealing with anxiety, whether it's on a massive scale and you might be in here right now just riddled with, with anxiety, or you just live with a, a low-grade kind of anxiety constantly in your, your life. We are all dealing with feelings of anxiety. And so I want to say from the onset of this message, I'm not obviously a medical doctor. However, I went to school long enough that I should be a doctor, but that's another message. But I also want to say, too, that that some of us fit into that that 30% category where we need medical help, medical attention. So I don't want you to leave here going, you know, my pastor said, all I can do is pray about it, and I don't have to take my meds anymore. That's not what I'm saying. And then you show up at work on Monday acting like a fool. Don't blame that on me, okay? Take your meds in the name of Jesus. We need you to take your meds and continue to do that. But I think there are a lot of reasons that actually contribute to anxiety running rampant in America. You don't have to write these down, but you can. I think one of them is simply that life is hard. Would you agree? I mean, life can be hard. It's it's difficult. It's hard when the company says, hey, we have to make some layoffs. It's hard. It's hard when somebody you've spent your, your life with, a lot of your life with, looks at you and says, I'm tired of the marriage. Life can be hard. Life can be hard when you see your children walking in a direction that you know is not great for them, a path that you you wish that they would never go down, but they are. Life can be hard. It can be hard to juggle all the the schedules that we have to juggle, all the practices and the rehearsals. Like, it's it's hard. Life can be hard if you're a college student and you have to, you know, like get your degree and study and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time you're working to pay for it. Life can be hard. So that alone... The fact that life is difficult can elevate our levels of stress and worry and anxiety in our life. But I submit another reason, maybe a a more intense reason, is because we have information overload. We all do. We are living in the information age. And so all of us have in our pocket, our front pocket, back pocket, or purse, a device called a a smartphone that is a a 24-hour-a-day device that gives us information from all over the world. And it's not the problem that we have information, it's that we are getting information without proper filtration, right? It's just coming in everywhere through our, you know, our eyes and our ears, like, and, and things that we never would have known about around the world. We know about like that right now. 
Like things that 25 years ago we would not have known are, are happening in other parts of the world. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but you do realize that you were not designed and created to carry all of that in your heart and in your mind and in your, your soul, everything that's happening around the world. You were not meant to, to hold on to that. And because we are getting information from everywhere and see what everyone is doing all the time, we're constantly under a comparison assault, are we not? Like, it used to be that you would just compare yourself to your neighbor friend down the street. Like, growing up, I, I would say, Mom, you know, Jimmy got a new skateboard. You know, I want a new skateboard. And, and my mom would say um, something like, well, you'll have to wait till Christmas, and I'd have to learn something called patience. Have you ever heard that word before? Patience, right? Come on, parents, we used to learn, like, patience back in the day. But now it's like, I want this, I want it now, and Walmart will deliver it within three hours to my doorstep. Now we're comparing ourselves not to our neighbor friend down the street, but people from all over the world. Like your kid will come home and say, you know, mom, I want a new cell phone. I want the iPhone 15, titanium version or whatever it is. And he, like my friend Zhi Ling has one. Like who's Zhi Ling? Is she somebody in your school? Is she an exchange student? No, she lives in Beijing, China. She's on TikTok. I follow her or whatever. <laughs> and your mom's going, that's nice. That's sweet. Whatever. But because we are overwhelmed with information... Like, it causes us to, to, to compare. It causes us to feel anxious about what we are doing or not doing enough of based on what someone else is doing or, or places they're going or vacations that they are, are having. But also, it's the news. It's this 24-hour-a-day news cycle, and I hate to break it to you, the media is not designed to give you the whole story. You realize that, right? They're designed to give you just enough of the story to keep you coming back. That's how they make money. The news media is not a nonprofit organization. So they have to sell ad space. They have to sell marketing space. And the way they do that is by ratings, by keeping you hooked, by keeping you coming back for, for more, not giving you the full story. So no wonder we're always stressed out. No wonder we're spending billions of dollars trying to find peace in our, our heart and peace in our, our mind. I, I think another reason, though, we have anxiety is because we don't do a great job controlling the narrative in our minds. Does anyone else have the superpower of being able to take something small and blowing it up? Anybody? Just me? Like, I'm, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, which is fine, by the way. This is therapy for me. And I need you to know, if I was to only teach you things... Uh, Based on what I have figured out, that list would be very small. So, I, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, stop your progress because I haven't arrived there either. Like, I'm, I got to feed you as I'm figuring it out. Are you with me? And so I need this too is what I'm saying. But I have the ability to take something small and to blow it up. Like, I, the bus could be seven minutes late and I, that bus is in a ditch somewhere. I just know it. Right? I'm getting in my car. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking off. Like, it's because we don't do well at controlling the narrative in our mind. But here's the number one reason. I believe this with all my heart. And this is what I have been, been pressing since the first week of this series. The greatest reason we have anxiety is because we're in a battle. And you have to get this, by the way. We have to understand we are in a, a fight. We are in a, a spiritual battle. Peter wrote this under the, the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Now, you know, I'm not the guy who, you know, says there's a devil behind every rock. I'm not that person. I'm not the guy who runs out of gas and says the devil is a liar. You know, I'm like, no, I didn't fill up my tank. You know, I went too long on E. I'm not blaming my stupidity, you know, on the enemy. But that's not to say there's not an enemy who wants to take you out, who does not have good plans for you. And Peter says he is prowling around. He is on the hunt. And he wants to take you out. And I love when, when people from time to time will say, you know, Pastor Colby, you know, we're praying for you because we understand you're a target for the enemy. And I want to respond, and I'll, I'll typically respond by saying, thank you so much. In fact, one of the greatest things you can do, by the way, is pray for me, pray for my family, pray for the staff, pray for protection and guidance. However, you need to know you're a target too. And I pray for you too. What we just read does not say the enemy prowls around looking for a preacher he can take out, looking for a, a worship leader he can take out, looking for a, a, a kid's pastor or a team leader. No, he says he prowls around looking for someone, looking for a lawyer, looking for a, a student, looking for a mom, looking for you know, a doctor, looking for you know, anybody that he can take out, anyone who is isolated, who is easy to pick off. That's who he's looking for. And so you need to realize your life is a spiritual battle. And if you don't get that, what's going to happen is you're going to try to fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. And I'm just telling you, it's not going to work. It never works. Which is why Paul told us, hey, hey, the weapons we fight with, check it out, in 2 Corinthians, are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power and that word is the word the word we get dynamite from dunamis it's, it's that kind of power to demolish strongholds those are the weapons that we have at our disposal those are the weapons that we we fight with against this enemy who wants to prowl around like a lion and take us out the devil is prowling around he wants to devour your destiny he wants to devour the call of god on your life he wants to devour god's favor over your life because he cannot keep god from saving you but if he can derail your destiny, if he can keep you, know, your, you from walking in the fullness and the full life that Jesus gave his life for, for you for, and one of the ways he does that is by attacking our mind with anxiety, plaguing our heart with, with worry. And so we need to learn how to fight back. Are you with me? We're going to fight back today. We're going to attack anxiety back. And Peter tells us how. In 1 Peter, he tells us how. Which, by the way, how many of you heard that, that, you know, you write about what you know about? Or you talk about what you know about? Peter has good reason to be able to write, the enemy is like a lion, prowling around, looking to take you out. Because there was one time where Peter finds himself in a courtyard. I don't know if you remember this. The night that Jesus was arrested before he was taken to the cross. He finds himself following Jesus at a distance. He finds himself standing around a fire trying to find out what's going to happen to Jesus. And a little girl says, hey, you're with Jesus to Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm not. I don't know the guy. In fact, three times, right, if you know the story, he denies even knowing Jesus. And so Peter's saying, hey, 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 you know what? I know a thing or two about the enemy. I know how the enemy operates. I know he is like a, a lion prowling around. In fact, Peter, I wonder if as Peter's writing that he's like a lion, if he's not thinking back to that mind monster of cowardice, if he's not thinking back to that mind monster of, of denying Christ, he's saying, I'm telling you, your enemy, he's like a lion. 
He almost picked me off. In fact, the devil almost kept him from, from preaching the opening message as the church was formed on the day of, of Pentecost. And so I need to tell you, you are not exempt from the enemy. In fact, if you, if you think you're exempt from the enemy or if you're feeling a little bit untouchable from the enemy today, it could be because he's already got you. Or he's not afraid of you. If you can't say amen, say what? Ouch. Say ouch. That's right. <laughs> and I'm only saying that because I'm here to help you. I'm here to make sure we understand how the enemy operates. We are in a spiritual battle. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because that argument that you're having in your home, that you and your spouse are fighting about, it might not just be a disagreement. It could be that the enemy wants to sow seeds of disunity in order to tear that thing apart. It's probably deeper than that. It could be because he knows there's a call of God on your house and on your family, and he would love nothing but to derail. It could be because he knows God's word better than we do, and he knows God's word says, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and the enemy knows if he can derail you, he can derail God's plan for your life. And so we need to understand how he operates. I'm, again, I've just come on assignment to stand in the gap and to say to you, your enemy might be like a lion, but your God is a lion. Come on, somebody. He's a lion of Judah. He's a lion and a lamb. And he's powerful against the enemy that we are faced with. And so Peter gives us some encouragement. He says this in verse 10, and the God of all grace, somebody say all grace. Aren't you thankful he's a God of all grace? Aren't you thankful he's not just a God of a, a little bit of grace or some grace or grace when you feel like you've earned it or, or deserved it? He's the God of all grace. The first thing you need to do, write this down when attacking our anxiety is understand he's the God of all grace. All grace. And there's a difference, by the way, between grace and mercy. Like mercy is, is God um, withholding something that you and I deserved. That's mercy. In fact, the Bible says that we were all born sinners. From the beginning, happened in the garden when the enemy came in. We were all born into sin. It means we all, all fall short of the standard of God. Sin is just an archery term. It means we're missing the bullseye. We're not hitting it dead on. So it's not a, a statement of condemnation. You need to understand that. Like it's just the, the reality of our human condition. We don't always get it right. Can we just be honest? We don't always nail it. We don't always get it right. And so we miss, we miss the mark. We were born with that. We were born with sin. And if you don't think you were born with sin, it's because you are not yet a parent. Right? Because you don't have to teach your kids how to sin. You don't have to teach them how to stomp their feet and roll their eyes when you talk to them and walk away. Like you don't have to teach that. We're all born with it. So Jesus came and died on the cross. And he took something on himself that we deserved. So we were withheld held from, from what we deserve. That's called mercy, mercy. We don't pay the penalty of our sin. In fact, if you've crossed the line of faith, you understand that surrendering your life to Jesus means you don't have to pay the penalty, which is separate, being separate from God for eternity because of your sin. Like, like that's the, the best news. That's the news of the gospel, which by the way, I know sometimes we, we wait until the end of the message to pray, but if that's you right now and you have never said yes to Jesus knowing that he took your punishment on his behalf, I wanna give you the chance right now. Bow your head, close your eyes. I'm serious. Maybe you're here right now and this is why you are here. Because Jesus took on himself 
what we deserved, our sin. And he died on the cross for it. God raised him from the dead so we could be saved. And so when we come before him and we repent and we say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Like, take, take my life. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Then he'll come into your life and save you and set you free and the Holy Spirit will live in you and thrive in you. And maybe that's where you are right now. And I'm just gonna help you with some language. You can whisper it, you can pray it in your heart. Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I repent. Thank you for not, for, for not punishing me and taking it on, on you instead. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's it. That's it. And you know what? You might not feel like amazing and different, but God's word trumps the way that you feel. And if you made that confession in faith and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you're saved. And so I'm celebrating that with you right now. But that's mercy. That's mercy. God has mercy for you. We don't get what we deserve. Grace is different, though. Grace is we, we get something that we didn't deserve. The ability to confess Jesus as Lord, to be saved and set free, that's grace. You being here right now, that's grace. The fact that you said, I'm going to show up to church today, and you got in the car, whether you own that car or leased that car or you Ubered it here or took the bus here, that's grace. You need to understand that. Are you with me? The air you're breathing is grace, is grace. In fact, look at your neighbor right now. Say, neighbor. Go ahead. Say, neighbor. The fact that you're sitting next to me is grace. Let him know it's grace. Come on, that's grace. Say, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's all God's grace. Everything that we have, we need to get this, is, a, is grace. It's a great God giving us what we don't deserve. When we don't earn, we couldn't earn it, couldn't work enough for it, it is grace. It's grace that I get to do what I'm doing. It's only by God's grace. And I love the fact that David in the Psalms, he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I don't think we do an injustice to the text by saying surely goodness and mercy and grace. Follow me all the days of my life. So that, that tells me that every day I wake up, I have goodness and mercy as a shadow. Are you with me? Every day you wake up on your best day, God's goodness and grace and mercy are with you. On your worst day, God's goodness and grace and mercy are running after you. We have God's goodness. I got up this morning and said, hello, grace. Hello, mercy. <laughs> Looks like you'll be following me today right? You have a goodness and grace and mercy shadow. Here's why that is important. If you would wake up today, tomorrow, the next day, and realize that he's the God of all grace, he's the God of mercy and goodness in your life, and he is running after you, chasing after you, it would deflate anxiety in your heart. You know that? When we just realize, this is what Peter's saying, he's the God of all grace, He's the God of all grace. He's like, I know a little something about grace. Because after Peter denied him, do you know what happened? Jesus went to him. In fact, Peter goes back to fishing. When Jesus called him, he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And now he's back to fishing for, for fish. And Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I think this is a beautiful picture of the love that Jesus has for you. Not only would he go to the cross for you, but do you know how long it takes to walk to the, the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem? A week. 
So he'd also walk a week for you. He's coming after you. You need to know that. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can run or hide. Like he is relentless in his pursuit of you. And he was relentless in his pursuit of Peter, even after denying him. Even after saying the devil is like a, a lion and he almost took me out. And now he feels ashamed and guilty, I'm sure. But Jesus walks to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's standing on the shore. He calls out to the guys and says, hey, you caught anything? And if that sounds uh, familiar, it should, because it was the, the same language that Jesus used when he called him out of fishing in the first place to be a follower of his. He said, have you caught anything? They said, no. And then somebody says, Peter, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. And so then Peter grabs his clothes, jumps out of the boat. Apparently back in this day, you fished in your birthday suit. I don't know. I don't understand it, but that's what the Bible says. Maybe we should try it. He jumps out of the boat. Not ice fishing. Ice fishing? I don't know why I just thought about that, but that's not, that does not sound comfortable. Jumps out of the boat, uh, starts running to get to the shore. Jesus says this, Peter, do you love me? You remember this at all? Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course, you know I love you. Three times. You know why Jesus asked him this? He said, because the last time my name came up, Peter, you denied me. And so I don't need you to say it for me. I need you to say it for you. And so he says, of course I love you, of course I love you. And he's like, hey, then forget about the denying thing. I have grace for you. Go out and do what I've called you to do. He's the God of all grace. So I wonder if Peter, as he's writing, he's the God of all grace, if he was not fighting back tears as he thought about that time on the shore. when Jesus says, you know what, I have all grace for you. How Peter thought, I don't deserve anything after what I've done, after how I've denied you. I don't, I, I don't deserve your love. Maybe that's how some of you feel, but can I just tell you, he's the God of all grace. No matter what you've done, no matter how you feel, no matter your past, no matter if you think God can use you in your condition or not, he's the God of all grace. Somebody say all grace, all grace. Grace has is, is been said, as, it's called the unmerited favor of God, which means you don't earn it you don't deserve it can't work for it so if you're sitting here thinking well I will um God will give me grace the day I deserve it I got some good news for you and some bad news for you in fact here's the bad news you will never deserve it here's the good news today is that day and tomorrow by the way and the day after that and the day after that because he's the God of all grace and so if you want to attack the anxiety in your mind you have to first understand God's got grace for you. He's got so much grace for you. And then Peter gives us another little insight. He says this, look at verse six. He says, and the mighty hand of God will lift you up at the right time. Somebody say mighty hand. It doesn't just say hand, does it? It says mighty hand. How many of you know we serve a God with a powerful hand? A powerful hand. Peter knew a thing or two about the mighty hand of God, too. So as he's writing this, he's also thinking back to, you know what? He's experienced firsthand the mighty hand of God. Because Peter was there when Jesus took a, a little boy's happy meal and blessed it and broke it and fed 5,000 men plus women and children and had leftovers. Peter's like, I know about the mighty hand of God. He was there when Jesus called to, to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth out of the tomb. In fact, what did he say? He said, loose him and set him free, which is the same thing Jesus wants to do in your life, by the way. He doesn't just want to move you from spiritually dead 
to alive. He also wants to, to free you from what is keeping you bound and keeping you locked up. He wants to release the chains that are keeping you stuck in your life. So he wants to loose you and set you free. But Peter saw that. And so he's experienced firsthand the mighty hand of God. Of course, he was there when Jesus spit in the dirt and put some mud on a guy's eyes and said, go wash it off and, you, and you'll be able to see. But Peter experienced firsthand the mighty hand. Remember when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water in the middle of the storm? And some people hate on Peter and say, yeah, yeah, but he fell. Okay, but he walked. I don't know how many steps, but he walked on water. Anybody else do that? And what does it say when he started to drown that Jesus reached out his what? Hand. So Peter's like, I know a little something about the mighty hand of God. Reaching out in my moment of need, picking me up. So I'm wondering again, if as he wrote this, if he's not thinking about the wind that's howling around him as he's starting to sink or the, the waves crashing or the, the storm surging, how Jesus reached out his mighty hand and said, I will lift you up in due time. We serve a mighty God. And if you are here and you serve a God of, of just checking off the church box, can I tell you, you are missing a, a huge part of who God is and what he wants to do in your life. He's a, a mighty God. Like, uh, if you are here believing that he's just the God of, of religion, then no wonder you live your life stressed out, worn out, tired, filled with anxiety. But you just need to be reminded he is a mighty God. He's a miracle-working, dead-raising, water-walking, right, eye-opening kind of God whom we serve. And he'll pick you up in due time. Like, no wonder Many of us are filled with anxiety if our God is not a, a God with a mighty hand. Like I'm telling you right now, if, if my God didn't have a mighty hand, there is no shortage of things to be worried about, concerned about, filled with stress about, like all that has to happen, the messages to be preached, the vision that has to be turned into reality, staff that needs hired, teams that need to be built. I have a son in college. Come on, that'll stress you out right there. Another kid about to get his driver's license. So we're just all over the place, you know, in our house. And you do too. You have things you're worried about. Like we talk about the Middle East, things happening around the world, things happening in, in Maine and massacres, and, and what do we do with all that? And friends who are battling cancer and diseases, there is no shortage of things that we are worried about. But if we don't believe that God has a mighty hand, I'm telling you right now, we might as well shut up the, the church and lock the doors and turn out the lights, but our God has a mighty hand. He's able to save. He's able to heal. Come on, that's the God that we serve. And that's who Peter says. We have a God who will reach down at the right time. He has a mighty hand. So he's like, yeah, yeah, you have an enemy. And he's prowling around, and he's trying to take you out. But he's a God of all grace. He's a God with a mighty hand. So verse 7, take a look. Cast. Somebody say cast. You know, I was, I was reading this, I was thinking, do you think Peter used the word cast because he used to be a fisherman? <laughs> but he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, I don't know how you throw a, a, a cast net, you know, one of, the, one of the big nets that they used to have when they, they would fish, but I do know you don't just kind of like, bloop. <laughs> I know the goal is to toss it 
as far away from you as possible. So I think Peter gives us this picture. This is not just a, a nice churchy kind of saying. Where sometimes, let's just be honest, all right? Church people, we can say stupid stuff sometimes. I'm including myself in that list, right? Sometimes because somebody will be walking through hell and we're like, hey, bro, God's got you. Don't worry about it. Just cast your cares on him. And you're like, all right, well, that's true, but it's not helpful. How many of you know things that are always true aren't always helpful? Like it's, we need to say them right. We need to choose our words wisely at the right time. But I don't think Peter is saying this flippantly. I don't think he's saying like, you know what? Hey, guys, just cast your net, cast your cares. I think he said, hey, you take that net, right, and you, you cast your anxiety. You get it as far away from you as you possibly can because he's the God of all grace. He's the God of, you know, all, all mercy. He's the God with a mighty hand. So cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the, the picture. However, here's my concern. And I've kind of baited you a little bit intentionally. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but we love to take verses like this and cherry pick them. We love to take verses like, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And print that on a coffee mug. Put that on a bumper sticker. Because like, those are, you know what I'm talking about? There are some verses in God's word that we love to just kind of pull out of context. Like, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Like, that'll preach. We love to preach verses like that. Come on, my God. Somebody say, my God. Mm, my God. We'll preach. We'll give you all you need. Like, hey, don't let the, you know, the lack of melanin in my skin fool you. This boy, I'll preach. I'll bring it. Holler at your boy, right? I ain't playing games up here. I'm just saying. But we love to pick verses like that because they feel good. But a lot of times we'll take them out of context. Verses like, you know, hey, trust God and see if he won't throw open the store, you know, house of heaven, and pour out so much blessing on you, you can't contain it. But what we don't understand, in fact, both of those examples that I've given you are in the context of generosity and giving. So the promise of throwing open the, the storehouse of heaven or... or you know, supplying all your needs according to his riches, like, are grounded in our ability to obey the instruction. So if, if I want God to supply all my needs according to his riches in heaven, then I have to be a generous person. Otherwise, that scripture does not apply. Does that make sense? If I want God to throw open the floodgates of heaven, you know, and pour out so much blessing that I can't contain it, well, then that is taking into consideration that I'm, I'm tithing. I'm giving a tenth back to God. I'm saying, God, I trust you with my first and my best, and I want you to know that you have my heart. And so, like, I can't claim that promise if I'm not following the instruction, right? Does that make sense? And so when he says, cast your anxiety onto God because he cares for you, it's predicated on something as well that I have strategically left out until this point. <laughs> and I don't want you to miss this. And, Ben, you can come help me shut this down. Here it is. Look at it. Verse 6. Humble yourself. We struggle with this. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Then he'll lift you up. And cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In fact, before that, it says this in verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this promise. 
doubt and worry and fear and condemnation and guilt and shame. It feels like he's just roaring in your ear. But Peter, right, he, he finishes this in verse 10 and gives us some hope and says, and now the God of all grace, again, he says, who has called you into his eternal glory after you have suffered a what? Say it out loud. A little while, just a little while. After you've gone through this a little while, will himself, so God himself is going to do this, restore you and make you what? Strong, firm, and steadfast. And here's what I need to tell somebody. The lion may be roaring, but he is a toothless lion. You know why? Because Christ kicked out his teeth on the cross of Calvary, and he's got a lot of bark, but he's got no more bite. And so I'm just wondering if somebody in this house is believing that today your little while is coming to an end. That today God is creating you to be strong, firm, and steadfast. That today God's mighty hand is reaching out and saving you. He has all grace for you in your life. I just believe today God wants to give you your joy back, your peace back, to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet today. And let's pray to that in Heavenly Father. We need your peace. We need your goodness. We need your grace. We need to be reminded, God, that there is no place we can go. That you are not running after us, chasing after us. And so, God, we need to understand how powerful you are. And more than anything, to humble ourselves. If we learn anything today, God, I pray that right now you would convict us and challenge us to stop trying to do this on our own, to cast our anxieties on you as far away from us as we can, humble ourselves, and see if you don't, at the right time, can use your mighty hand to pull us up out. I'm believing today there are people in this room getting their joy back, getting their peace back, getting their faith back, being filled with hope today. God, I pray that you would soften hearts. I pray that you would break ground in our life, that hard soil, God, that we've created by a life of pride and instead allow you in humility to get involved, to move us in the direction you'd have us to go. Shake us up, Lord. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.